This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. So we're going to be going out of James chapter 4, what we just read. Uh, So you're more than welcome to go ahead and go and turn there. Uh, And... Actually, um, if you brought your own Bible with me this morning, do me a favor and turn to the very back of your Bible. Uh, this may not work for everybody. If you're using the Bible out of the pew, I don't think this will work. Uh, but if you brought your own Bible, um, what is like the last couple pages in, in some of your Bibles? Usually like the maps. You ever see those? Um, something about myself, I love maps. It's kind of a strange thing to like, I know, but I just always have. I've always been like super intrigued by them. Uh, you can ask my wife as we moved into our new place. I brought a lot of like map decorations with me that I wasn't allowed to put up. You know how that goes? Uh, I, everywhere I've lived for the last few years, I've just usually had like a big world map on the wall and I just kind of like to look at it. So I've always naturally kind of been drawn to that section of the Bible. Um, just to kind of stare at that sometimes, you know, kind of starts to zone out and that's where you kind of flip to. Uh, that's just something I've always been drawn to. And I think one of the most interesting maps back there is one of the last ones. It's the map that kind of chronicles Paul's missionary journeys. So if you, if you got a Bible with a map, go ahead and look at that for a, minute, for a minute with me. What it usually looks like is it's kind of a picture of kind of the Mediterranean area, the Roman Empire, and it's going to show you the little arrows from city to city, from place to place, where the Apostle Paul travels as he goes to take the gospel around the Roman world. So just as a refresher, Paul... Uh, gave a lot of his life to taking the gospel to places it had never been taken before. Paul is a very passionate guy. Paul's a very effective uh, missionary. He's kind of a rock star of missionaries, right? He goes from one city to the next, preaching and proclaiming the gospel, building converts, building up churches, placing leaders in those churches, and then going to the next place once they're established. Um, And there's a lot of intricacy in that. If you look at the maps, you'll see that he's gone on three different missionary journeys. Each one lasts like three years or so. Sometimes he stays in places for a few days. Sometimes he stays in cities for multiple years. And these trips um, are not always the safest. They're not always the easiest. Some of it's by sea. Some of it's by land. The roads are a lot more dangerous than anything that, that we're used to. Uh, you could be you know, wrecked at sea very easily. So for Paul, to set aside years of his life at a time, to travel uncertain roads, and as a very successful, driven, passionate, godly man, we're going to see that these plans really are kind of intricate. We're going to see that these plans are very detailed. And for like most people that we know, you know, successful, passionate, driven people a lot of times tend to be organized, tend to be planners, tend to be go-getters in those areas. And I think what may surprise us um, a good bit is how flexible Paul is in these plans, in that map that you may see in the back of your Bible. As he goes from one metropolitan area to the next, as he goes to preach in temples and synagogues, these great journeys are often changed at the last minute more than we would think. So let's look at an example of that. We can see in Acts chapter 16, this is in Paul's second missionary journey as he's traveling through uh, parts of, of the world. He's, he's going, uh, and he's going to city to city as he's planned when God interrupts him. So in Acts 16, verse 6 through 10, it says, they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and through Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. 
Then they came to Mysia, and they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went into the town of Tro- they went into, uh, to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So again, we have Paul, who's got this plan of where he wants to take the gospel. It's thought out. It's strategic. And he starts heading to where the next place is, where plan A is, and God says, no, not here, not right now. Paul says, okay, that's fine. He steps back. He says, we have a plan B. We're going to go to the next place that we had planned to go. And when he, says there, when he goes there, it says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him to go there. Probably would have been pretty easy for Paul to say, look, I'm doing God's work. I'm trying to discern these things. This may not be as clear as I'd like. I'm just going to go on with the plan. But that's not what he does. It says that night he receives a vision of a man in Macedonia asking for help. And it says immediately that the next morning they discerned that this is the will of God. This is where he wants us to go. It's not plan A. It's not plan B. This is where he wants us to go. We're changing our direction according to the will of God as it's been spoken into our lives. He's very flexible with that. Paul's very open to listening to that change of direction as God gives him, regardless of what the cost of that might be. Another example we can find is in Romans 1. Paul says many times in the book of Romans that he wants to come see the church in Rome. He wants to come see these believers that he's writing to. It may be kind of shocking to see that he's writing such a long book to people that it appears he's never actually visited before. So he's writing to these people, and he says, I want to come see you. And in chapter 1, he says, Now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now. And in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I've had among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul says earlier in this chapter, he says, I want to come see you so that I can build you up and that you can build me up. We can be mutually beneficial together in the faith. And later in the book, he says that he's been prevented from doing so because God's placed a very special call on his life to take the gospel to places that it had not been heard yet. He mentions that if, he says, pray that God gives me success in the area that I'm at right now so that later on, Maybe if it's by the will of God, I'll be able to come and see you. Paul's not just judging his life based on the broad strokes of things. Paul has dedicated years of service to these journeys. He's dedicated his life to taking the gospel, to building up churches, to setting up leaders. He's built his entire world around service to God. But that's not where it starts. That's not where it stops. Paul dedicates the details. Paul actively searches out to find God's will in the small things as well as the big things for his life. As we get into the chapter uh, that we're going to really spend our time in today in James, we're going to see that that has a lot to do with what James is trying to teach us here today, that God wants every bit of our lives. We've been bought for a price. We are his possession. And we don't have the control over our lives that we think we do. Paul exhibits this exceptionally, as do many other people, many other heroes of the faith throughout the Bible. But I think just just seeing that, because I don't think most of us can take vacations the way that Paul went about his missionary work, right? To see the flexibility in dangerous times to simply humble himself and to search out the will of God. Because in the Romans analogy there, and, and him wanting to come and see the church in Rome, would it have been wrong for Paul, a missionary, to want to travel to a church far off, to build up and encourage the believers to grow their strength in the Spirit. No, that wouldn't have been wrong. 
No, that wouldn't have been a wrong thing to do, but what Paul is searching for is a little bit further than that. He's not just asking, can I get away with this? He's saying, what can I do to be closest to what God wants me to do in my life to serve him to the fullest in the ways that he's equipped me? And that's what James is going to direct us in here today. So we're going to see James walks us through a few different heart attitudes. He's going to walk us through uh, what the problem with the way that we think about our lives in accordance to God's will is. We're going to see the reality of what that brings about. And eventually he's going to show us the solution to that. So James chapter 4, we're just going to read verse 13 to start off with. And we're going to see what the problem, what the heart attitude that James is going to be addressing here is. In verse 13 it says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there, and do business, and make a profit. So James is addressing people who have set out a plan, who say, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to do it in this amount of time. I'm going to stay there for X amount of years, and this is going to be the result. And um, James hasn't really introduced to us yet, just in that verse, what the problem is. But let's think about this. We've been going through James for a few weeks now. There's a few things that James likes to hit on. James has a few pet peeves. Uh, One of his biggest is when rich believers show injustice towards poor believers, right? We've talked about that a lot. But that doesn't seem to quite be the problem here. I also don't think the problem is that James is saying that plans are always a bad thing, that we should always have a plan, that we should never have a plan, that it's wrong to do that. It looks like in this section what James is upset about is more about what this person isn't saying rather than what they are. There's one important factor that this believer is leaving out of their plans for their lives. And it's the one who empowers their lives. In this plan, there's no mention of God. There's no mention of his will. There's no mention of trying to serve him, a desire to seek him out, a desire to take part in his work, to live to the purpose that we've been given as believers. This is a plan about his passions, his purposes, his desires, his future. And this is something very easy to fall into it when we make plans, isn't it? I know for Macy and myself, we've been married like two months now, right? In the first little bit of marriage, there's like a lot of pressure to have the next five years planned out, right? So where are we going to live? What are we going to do? You know, what, are we thinking about going back and doing any more school or anything like that? And inevitably, the question that I'm sure we'll be asked at every family gathering for the next five years is, when are the kids coming along, you know? <laughs> you know? There's always this pressure, and in every stage of your life, it's that way, right? You're, you're planning when, when you have kids, you know, you're thinking about when they get older, what are you going to do? When they're older, you're thinking about when they're out of the house. When they're out of the house, you're thinking about what's retirement going to bring. We're always talking about these plans for our lives, and it's very easy to say, here's what step A is going to be. I'm going to do B. It'll lead to C, and the result will be D, because that's just how we think. And very often, we leave the most essential piece of our plans out because they're not really about us. And the most essential piece is God himself and his will for our lives. As Christians, we have a purpose beyond what this world has, and we don't always see that. That's the problem. That's the problem that, Paul is addre- or that James is addressing here. It's that the Christian is planning his life as if it still belongs to him. We know that our lives are not our own. They've been bought for a price, and we've been given a mission We've been given a purpose that's far beyond what we had before. There's the problem. James is going to speak to us a little bit more about the reality of what exactly that means in verse 14. He says, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 
James says the reason these plans that are built this way are, the reason that's so foolish is because you have no control to make that happen. We, we can't make these things happen tomorrow. We, we can't bring about the future always like we want it to. Right? We, our lives are short. Our time here on earth is far more limited than we realize so often. And yet we think we're in control of it all. We think it's in our hands. I think a lot of times, especially if, if we're in a season where life is going pretty well, we say, all right, things are good for me right now. I did A, B, and C to lead up to things being good. So if I continue to do these things, life will still be good. And I just know that I can bring that about, right? It's in my control. And it doesn't take long for life to throw something at us to realize we're not in control. We can't make everything happen that we want it to. I think I, think I would be incorrect to not connect this to the things that we're seeing now, especially in our faith family. You know, as we've prayed for Mary Lane, as we've prayed for the Carter family, as, as we've kind of thought about all these things, the realization, the difficulty is, is just, it's just new, isn't it? It's I work in the office during the weeks. I've had phone calls and emails from quite a few of you, many of you asking, you know, what can I do? What can I do to help? What, 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 how, can, how can I aid? And I think the sobering reality that many of us have had to kind of come to grips with is there's very little I can do. I want to help. I want to fix. I want to make it better. but it's not really in my hands. When we come before God in prayer, when, when we come before Him and bring in these things, sometimes we like to think of that as something we're doing. That's another thing that I'm doing to help out the situation. But when we say that all we can do is, is really pray in this moment, what we're saying is we're confessing before God, God, I can't do this. God, this is not in my control. God, I'm not able to fix. You are. And that's what we can do. That kind of prayer is a confession before God saying, I'm not in control of the world around me like I would like to be. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. My time here is short. My effect is small, especially apart from your will. The legacy that I leave, all based on my own selfish desires, will be nothing. God, I don't have much to bring to the table. All I can have is my life that I humbly submit before you. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Our time here is short. But what we've been given is a life that we can dedicate to a legacy, to a, to a purpose, to a mission that's far grander than ourselves, and that's God's will. That's God's plan. God's plan for our salvation for the world. The reality is those type of plans that say, I will do this, I'm going to make it happen by doing that, and it will result in this. Those aren't plans, those are fantasies. Because we're not the one that makes that happen. That's the reality. And this last little bit, James brings us the solution to this. Though. In verse 15 and following, he says, Instead, you should say, If the Lord wills, 
we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So is it is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. James says quite a bit in this passage, so we're going to break it down a little bit more. First off, he says the solution here is to come before God saying, I will do these things if it is your will. Notice that James isn't saying you should never have a plan. James is not saying that you should never go into life and say, well, this is, this is what I want to do. That's, that's not what, that's not what the, the lesson here is. James is saying that we bring our plans before God in an attempt to discern what his will is and say, I want to do this if this is what God has for me. Do we see the, the major difference in there? The major difference isn't just that we're not like we're carrying out our lives as if we don't care. It's that we're being humble as we come before God, expecting him to be giving us a purpose to move towards his glory. Our lives are not not about what we want, but they're about what he wants. They're not about our glory. They're not about our passion, but they're about his glory and his passions. That's the change. I think... um, you know, not, not everybody here is going to have like, the experience of that that Paul had. It's not just that like, you're going to have the vision that somebody from Macedonia is co- calling you to come and come over, right? We're not going to have that booming voice in the sky. That's not what, what we're necessarily supposed to be expecting. What we're expecting is that we're coming before God in His Word. We're coming before God in prayer, knowing that as believers we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and that if we ask for wisdom, it'll be given to us. James tells us that. And by those means, by that active seeking, by actively humbling ourselves, we can then see where God is working, and we can then attempt to connect with that based on the the spiritual gifts that we know He's placed in our lives. That's what we're supposed to be seeing here, is that it's not that we're supposed to throw away plans, or that every time we want to do something, we're supposed to wait for a booming voice in the sky. The point is that we come before God humbly, saying, not my will, but your will be done. So as we continue to look through this, um, in verse 16, he kind of tells us more about what the heart issue is here. He says that it's not, uh, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. This is a very important verse, and we're going to come back to this in a minute, because this tells us that the heart issue here is not just saying things slightly wrong. James's problem isn't, he's not coming to the people in this church and saying, hey, you're almost there. You just need to tweak your vocabulary a little bit. James is saying the major issue here is a deeper heart issue. It's not one of what you're saying, but it's the arrogance, the pride that lays deep in it. Pride is what tells you that as a Christian, your life and your desires are supposed to be about you. Pride is what tells you that in my life, I'm the most important thing. God is my sidekick, and he's going to help me out with what I want to do. Pride is what tells us that we can make things happen on our own when we know we don't have the control in the world that we would like to have. Pride is what takes us away from the perspective of understanding that God is the king of the universe. I'm here for a short time, and all I can do to hope to have purpose in this life is to go according to his plan and his will. That's the issue. It's pride. This isn't a verse just about words, but it's a a verse about what goes on deep in our hearts. So as we know that James is not a man that's just going to be content as long as you say the right things. We've seen that before, right? James, as we talked about faith and works, James is not the kind of person that says, as long as you say you have faith, that's enough for me, right? James says, no, faith is evident when you're living it out in your life through works. They always go together. The things are always paired. And in the same way, James is not telling us, as long as you say the right things, it doesn't matter what's going on below the surface. No, James is saying that the pride that sits behind it all needs to be rooted out for this to be a reality. And James closes this section by saying, so it is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. 
He's saying, you've been warned. You've been told. If you didn't understand before, which you should have, as a Christian, your life is not about you. Your time here is not about your passions. You've been bought for a price. You've been brought into the family of God. You've been adopted. You've been paid for. And you've been given a purpose. To continue to live as if your life is your own, to continue to live like the world does, is a sin. A lot of times we think of sins as things that we do but shouldn't have. You know? Like stealing. You shouldn't have stole something, but you did, therefore it's a sin. You shouldn't have said something mean to somebody, but you did, therefore it's a sin. And yeah, that is. But it's also a sin to know that you should be doing something and then not do it. Right? So a good example from James, again, is, is that we should, we should know, especially within the church, that we should be looking out for poor believers. And if we're not doing that, if we're not looking out for the poor like Jesus commands, like James commands, then we're sinning. That's a really tricky place. I think we all know that in our heads. But I think a lot of times when we sit and try to evaluate our own lives, when we look at ourselves and say, where am I at spiritually? We go through the checklist of the things that we don't do. All right, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do that, therefore I'm not living in sin. It's deeper than that. Are we actively following the commands of the things that we should be doing but won't naturally do? Are we seeking to do the commandments which have been laid down before us before by, by Christ through, through Scripture, through the inerrant Word? Are we searching out things to do to serve God more actively in the ways that He's equipped us to do? If we're not searching for a way to live our lives according to the will of God, giving Him what we've got for the short time we're here, James says we're sinning and there's no excuse for it. And that's harsh. That's a, that's, a, that's a very difficult reality. But it's the truth. The problem is that we view our lives as our own, to do with what we want, as if we're the final authority. The reality is that's a fantasy. And we can't make that happen. And it flies in the face of all that we've been given in Christ Jesus. And the fix is that we have to root this pride out of our hearts so that in our hearts, the confession naturally comes, God, I'm here to serve you. Here's how I would like to do it. But if you have another plan for it, I'll, buy, I'll, I'll get on whatever bus you buy me a ticket for. Take me to where you want me. So that's, that's what James lays out for us in this section. Um, let's let's kind of look to apply that. And we've already talked about part, some of this uh, already, but, but I want us to really kind of dig in and, and, and think about this. How do we apply this? Is it just about what we say? If you walk out of here today and say, man, I know that when I talk about the future, I should always kind of close caption it with, if that's what God wills. If, if, if that's the big takeaway from today, I'm afraid you've missed it a little bit. That's not really the point. It's not just about just giving the catchphrase at the end of every sentence, making it sound spiritual. It's about where your heart's at. This is more than about just the words. A lot of times we can just read these Bible passages. And I know personally what I do a lot of times is I'll see Bible passages where it says, you know, Christians should be X. And I'm like, man, I know I should be better at that. That hits my heart hard. I, I know that God is going to, God, please grow me in this. I need to be better at it. But on the flip side of things, I'm also pretty relieved when I read the Bible and it says a Christian should be this. And I'm like, okay, I do that one a little bit better, Right. Like, I'm not as far behind there. And that makes us feel good. And I think sometimes we can do that too quickly. 
So we can look at the very basic sense of the text and say, okay, I'm good at this, or this doesn't really apply to where I'm at in my life right now, right? Maybe, you know, I understand that, you know, a lot of our people are not past retirement age. Maybe you're thinking, okay, a verse about what I'm planning for business ventures aren't necessarily something that's applicable to my life right now. Or maybe we're at a place where we think, you know, I'm not really thinking about, you know, the long term right now. I'm kind of relaxed with those kind of things. I don't have to worry about this. Again, we're getting caught too much in the details if we think this is a verse about how we just act in business or if it's a verse about just what we say. or, or don't. Those are points of application that we can take but we shouldn't get bogged down in the details. What's the heart that we're trying to learn here? And it's that pride in our own hearts makes us think that our lives are only accountable to our desires. And so we set God off to the side as if he's helping us along somehow. That's the issue. That affects how we speak about it. That affects how we make these plans that pours out into these other things. So as we look at this verse, as we apply to our own lives, I don't want you just to say, I'm going to start saying this more. If, you, if, if that helps you to understand this in a more real way, praise God. Say it every time if you want to. That's, that's, the point is that it's a heart thing that changes the way that we view our lives, that changes the way we view our time left here so that we bring it to service in God more honestly and openly. I think a good analogy for that is how we pray. Like when we pray, we end our prayer with, the, you know, in Jesus' name. I think most of us know that that's not a catchphrase that gives your prayer 20% more power, Right? Like it just, it's not like, you know, God wasn't listening until that point, and then he heard in Jesus' name, and he starts rewinding to, you know, write it down what the rest of you said. That's not, we know that's not how it works, but I don't think we think about the depth of what it really means. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying, God, I am insufficient on my own to stand before your holy throne. I am not good enough to come before you as the holy creator of everything, sinless, perfect as you are, but I know one who is. I know one who died for me, who wiped my sin away, who forgave me and gave me, gave me the righteousness he earned. And by his power, by his goodness, by his love and his sacrifice, I know I can come before your throne humbly. It's a confession of the heart every time we say that. It's a confession of our status before God when we say that phrase in Jesus' name. And it's a confession of the heart and it's a confession of our status when we acknowledge our plans are not our own and they're not up to our power to make them happen. That our lives are for something greater. That's the power in it. It's beyond the surface level things. It's beyond quick fixes. James is challenging us to reevaluate the way that we look at our lives. The way that we look at our walks how we pursue things. The fact of the matter is, we have little control. And all the things of this world that can fly at us so fast and make that apparent in an instant. And I think we've seen a lot of that this year. That's why it's so important to stress the necessity to, to kind of shed this mask of self-sufficiency that we like to build to make us think that, that, that it's all on us. Instead, we should be learning to lean on God in everything. Our days are short. Our lives are not our own. The world is not in our control. But by humbling ourselves, we find comfort. We find purpose. We find a greater plan. And we find the one who is truly in control 
of all things. Submitting to that will is always going to bring more peace than trying to chase our own. Again, we've, we've hit on this, but I, I, don't, I don't think we can stress this enough. The greatest reminder of this is just the gospel itself. If we've come to know Christ Jesus, we've it said in our lives, Father, chasing my will has only led me to a place of destruction. Chasing what I want has only taken me to a place farther and farther from your goodness. And I'm so far that there's nothing I can do to bring myself back. I need you. It's saying that I believe that you sent your son to come to earth, to live a perfect life, to die in my place. I believe that he rose again on the third day, defeating death, defeating the grave. And that if I simply believe, not by any other action, but if I simply believe, if I trust in you, if I place my faith in you for my eternal soul, for my eternal life, if I simply trust in you, I know I'll be saved. So why do we think, why do we think that it's different with our life after Christ as it was before? Why do we think we're less reliant on God after we're saved than we were when we needed to be saved? Why do we think that he's going to provide for us less in this life than in the eternal life to come? You have something that the world begs to have. You have a purpose and a passion. You have a mission for your life. The world wants that so bad, and they have no explanation for it. The best that they can come up with is, is that my life, maybe, maybe my life's purpose is just to make me happy. Or, or on the more negative side, they may say life has no purpose, it's all an accident and it's all random. But you, brother or sister, you have the truth. You have a reason for living every day. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. You've been given a chance to be a part of something that will never pass away. Even the most famous people on earth, their, their, their days will be forgotten. Their, their, their personalities won't be remembered. What they do is not going to last forever. But you, you have a chance to step into the eternal will of God, to serve under His good will, and to be a part of something that will never, never go away. And we throw it away daily. We waste that chance moment by moment. We have a gift that's greater. We have a Savior that's better. We have a God that loves us, that saved us, that is preparing a place for us if we know Him. And if you don't, I pray that you respond to that gospel message. We have a Savior who loves us, and His plan for us is greater than anything we could imagine. His will for our lives is better than anything that we could come up with our own. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take up that yoke. Do so daily. And remember the purpose and mission that you have as someone who is the possession of God Almighty, your Father who's adopted you in love. Let's pray. Father God, um, I pray that this passage speaks into us in ways um, that really do provide for a change, that really do make a difference. God, I, I know that I, I need to be better at this. I know that I need to be more active in this. And I pray that for each of us, you just set this in our hearts in a way that we don't forget it when we leave here today, but that it sticks with us, that it affects the way that we view tomorrow and next month and next year and the next 10 years that we're viewing our lives as a chance to serve you with all we have, losing ourselves and picking up our cross and following you. God, help us to follow the example of heroes of the faith like Paul, of people like Abraham, of people like Christ. Help us to seek our Savior more in all that we do and see the truth of these things more clearly. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leeway Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Thank you.